0: Hello. Charlie Chaplin once famously said, anyone can make them cry, but it takes a genius to make them laugh. Humour is both one of the most basic of human emotions and one of the most difficult for writers to reliably invoke. or make something funny? This is the sort of humour I like.
1: Never mind this, don't take a card. Card? What'll
2: I do with the card?
1: You can keep it, I've got 51 left.
0: But you might prefer something like this. Camelot.
1: Camelot. Camelot. It's only a model.
0: Or not. My own feeling is that humour is probably the toughest writing gig to master. Yeah, for those writers who do succeed in climbing the literary equivalent of Mount Everest, the rewards, recognition and actually sheer love from readers is everlasting. Think Douglas Adams or Terry Pratchett. P.G. Woodhouse, or George Carlin. We love these writers because they know how to make us laugh. Well, we've got five brave souls on today's show who want to make you smile, or even crack a belly laugh. And here to help me judge today's entries are, from British TV, where you normally do do, serious news is Andy Dickinson, and from England's West Country, is Lithopian Dean Baxter. And we're streaming live on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn today. And here's how you can take part. On YouTube, just post in the chat box. On Facebook, post a comment. And on Twitter, use the hashtag Litopia. Well, before we get stuck in, Andy, let's find out about your own sense of humour. What tickles your funny bone?
1: what makes me laugh. Um, you you yeah. teed this up for this a little bit, and I was writing you a list of, like, I think my favourite recent funny book was The Princess Bride, which is yeah. just page after page hilarious. Um, Favourite stand-up, Eddie Izzard, Dressed to Kill, Robin Williams, Live at the Met, uh, Eddie Murphy, Raw. Um, and, and anyway, this list was going on, and I thought one thing one thing to define, oh, and I have to mention Derek and Clive, which... Kind of yes. explains my maybe rude sense of humour because as a boy we we listened to that chuckling away hour after hour after hour. But um, there is a version of Rocket Man by William <laughs> Shatner that, that I used to have stored in my brain. So whenever I was feeling a little bit sad, I just I just play that to myself. And always, always. I recommend you dig it out on YouTube. He is hilarious
0: it sounds like cruel humor to me uh dean uh, how about you
2: well i have to um i have to agree with andy on eddie murphy raw i think <laughs> that's off to that one um but yeah i mean my my sense of humor is quite broad and i mean that in every sense um so for one sense it's broad in that it's a broad church i like lots of different kinds of comedy but yeah. also i like bum jokes you know? Oh,
0: excellent. <laughs> <laughs> wow.
2: I, th- I, th- I, think, I think that's just a, the thing about comedy. I, I mean, it, if you look at things, I mean, I, I, I was born in the 80s. My era was kind of in the 90s. So I, was, I grew up yeah. with things like The Fast Show, Alan Partridge, um, then into things like The Office and that. But uh, Frasier is, is probably a, is, is probably one of the best examples oh, of Oh, sure. I think
0: Classic. Good, co- yeah. good
2: comedy. It doesn't have to be high-brow. It just needs to be high-quality.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, if you think yeah. about something
2: like Fraser, um, or, or indeed Alan, Alan Partridge, you, <laughs> you have those very clever jokes. You have that <laughs> wordplay. You have um, satire in there, but also yeah. they're not afraid to go into the toilet jokes as well.
0: Absolutely, yeah. Uh, well, who knows? We, who knows? We might, we may have some bum jokes today. I don't know. Uh, we've, we've both set some extremely I don't nice. Don't be afraid to go
2: there. The bum jokes.
0: All right. You know? uh, I
2: will as long as the joke lands, that's the thing with me. It hey, doesn't have to be highbrow, just high quality.
0: All right, let's see if it does. Let's see if it does. Got five submissions. Let's get going. Right, here we go. First submission. It comes from Robert. Hello there, Robert. Hopefully you're with us live. It's fiction black humour. Yeah, very much up our street, I think. And it's called Stiff. Well, this is Robert's blurb. Even by Morris Figgs' loose standards, finding a dead woman in his bed plums new depths. Who is she? But more importantly, can he get rid of her before Constable Penny discovers her? The police are more interested in the drugs stashed in uh, Marty Finnegan's warehouse, so it's unhelpful that Morris chose that as his hiding place things couldn't get worse, except they do when Horace the Undertaker dies on the job and leaves Morris to run the shop. On the other hand, that sounds like a romp to me, uh, let's uh, let's find out about you. I'm the director, you say, of the Doctor Richard McCarness Foundation, which specialises in drug addiction. and In this context, I was published many years ago by Hodder, yeah. And last year, the foundation published my new book, "Our National Health: Are We Taking the Right Medicine?" That's, that's a slight joke in the title there, possibly. Uh, my first career was in mainframe computing operations, then sales. My second in health, as above. And I'm hoping to make writing, especially fiction, my retirement career. My first career, well. What combined with serving as a soldier in the Territorial Army Reserve. Can't get my lips around that. The Territorial Army Reserve. Um, I've started or finished 15 novels. Wow. Some are Jewish interest, but I also write across many genres, including humour and childrens. I currently live a quiet life on a farm in rural Herefordshire. All right, this reading is going to be anything from quiet, because it's from our one and only Emily.
3: Stiff by Robert. Read by Emily. One. To Morris's way of thinking, waking up next to a dead body was not a good start to the day. As the dim winter sunlight filtered through the thin curtains and dragged him into today, he could tell he wasn't alone. He knew the difference in the feel of the bed, those mornings he woke with a woman. The way the mattress dipped, on account of it being a cheap one his landlord, Morris suspected, bought secondhand. And this morning it had that feeling. He racked his brains to try and remember what had happened last night, but it wouldn't come. Still, a woman in your bed is not to be wasted, and you never know. She might be up for a quick one before she went, whoever she was. Only, when he stretched out his hand to feel her thigh, it was strangely cold. He couldn't compute cold. He ran his hand up her leg to her waist, past that and onto her breast. Cold, stone cold. Morris closed his eyes and tried to pretend it wasn't. But it was. Cold was wrong. Cold was definitely wrong. Morris knew that. Even after last night, and last night had been, he remembered now, pretty heavy. He tried to decide if it was a better idea to climb over her to check this out, or get out of bed and go around. Climbing over, he thought, could be very unpleasant, if what he was thinking was true. But on the other hand, getting out of bed was something he never did, if it could possibly be avoided, before at least one roll-up. He fumbled on the bedside table, but couldn't find his tobacco. So he closed his eyes just in case it worked this time, and when he opened them, it would all be different, and this horrible thing would just go away. But when he opened them it hadn't. It never sodding did. Not in Morris's experience. Not dead bodies, which of course he hadn't yet confirmed, and in any case had never been a problem before. But bad things in general. No, bad things in general were usually still there, being as bad as they liked when you opened your eyes again. Well, there was nothing for it. He had to know. He put one foot on the lino and then the other. Bloody hell it was cold. He wanted to wrap the bedspread around him, but that would have meant exposing the person next to him, which he didn't want to do. Not on account of his feelings for her, which he wouldn't have had even if she hadn't been dead, but because it would mean he would have to face the truth a few seconds sooner. So ten seconds later he stood stark naked on the cold floor and lifted the blanket carefully and yes, there was indisputably a dead woman in the bed. His bed. He groaned. His hands started shaking and he knew he needed a fag. He pulled the bedding up and covered her face. Not out of respect so much as so he wouldn't have to see it. Ten minutes later he sat at the table in his kitchenette wrapped in a motley assortment of clothes and warmed his hands on a brew while he lit his second cigarette. It normally took two, at least, before he could face the day with anything like equanimity. Today was different though. He didn't want to start today, if it could possibly be avoided. On days like this he usually went back to bed, only there had never been a day quite like this before and going back to bed was not the solution, it was the problem. For a moment he felt irritated. Who was this person lying inconveniently dead in his bed, stopping him from getting back in? On second thoughts, who was she anyway? really who was she no it wouldn't come if she had a name and his experience with women told me she almost certainly did it wouldn't come into his head of course maybe it hadn't been there in the first place maybe he'd forgotten to ask
0: Thank you, Emily. Very much for getting us off to a rip roaring start there. Uh, great reading. Uh, Genius Room says lots of things. Actually, <laughs> my goodness me, they're hyperactive today. RG says uh, taking from the top basically. Um, RG says Finnegan and Figs, tad similar. I thought that too. I tripped over that a bit when I when I actually read the blurb. Uh, and he says blurb starts strong, loses steam towards the end. Lots of names. Says Chantal, same same thing basically. Ha- interesting blurb, says Hannah. Um, but long. thinks James. Is Zuku. Oh, you can't have to change that. Oh, I Agree with Annie. Fizzled a bit. And Evo. blew itself as humorous, especially The Undertaker dying on the job. Yeah, that's right. Good first line, says Annie. Pamela. Oh my, the visual. Confident writing, says Hannah. Um, Archie. Good way to drip feed info about the guy. Um, Emily. Our reader. I thought this was good writing, witty, but could be tightened up a bit to make it sharper, but an easy read. Um, and then, yeah, there's there's some discussion there over um, touching breasts and absolutely sure dead, even knowing she's dead, no consent, all that kind of stuff. It's, yeah, it's it's skirting around an issue there, I'd say. Um, Matt says, I like the first line until we got the description of how cold the body was. That's where to start. Creepy, hilarious, and he's coined a legism hilarious, And Johnny, of course, who is already a past master of writing humorous books. Um, decent writing, but we need a few gags here. Hmm. Right. We'll make of this. Um, who wants to go first? Dean, do you want to go first? Why not? Yeah.
2: Um, yeah, I mean, starting off with the title, I, I really enjoyed the title, actually. I think Stiff, I think that works really well. Mm. Um... I thought the blurb was was okay. I think it promised a lot. I think it was promised a bit of a romp there. and I think that's, that's actually what we got. Um, what, what I would like to um, commend this on is, is so often on this program, the problem that we see again and again is that they, they start the book in the wrong place. Um, and I think what Robert has done here is they started it in exactly the right place. We're straight into a mystery um, scenario. This guy's waking up, woken up in bed with a lady um, and then obviously you soon find out that she's actually dead um, it's a fairly decent setup to a mystery it's intriguing um, it, you know it, it it kind of makes us want to read on because we've got that mystery there um, as, as others have said it, it could probably do with a few more gags if this is actually meant to be a, a comedy yeah. you know I wasn't laughing out loud it's one gag um, actually
0: isn't it and, and that's that you've got to move so on far, from that yeah. so
2: far we've got the one gag that, that the guy's woken up and you know he's got a corpse in his bed yeah um, I, I quite like the line of um inconveniently dead that was one that stood out for me i, I, I found that quite funny um but you know it, it's witty and if the I, I, i'm not sure whether they were selling this as an all-out comedy or more as just a, a witty um mystery so if that's what you know, you're it's fiction in, is the, it's, fi- it's definitely
0: fiction black humor so it's not a mystery it's it's black yeah. like humor yeah yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So, so again, as, as you said, nothing wrong with the writing. It's it's actually quite a good quality piece of work. I think we just need a few more gags in there to get. Yeah. You know. Um, as you say, one joke so far. I don't know what the rest is going to pan out like. Could be different, but um, we'd probably yeah. need to, with, with the next few pages of things to sort of. Yeah. Pick up with a few more jokes, otherwise you're going to lose the interest, especially if somebody's in it for the comedy factor, you know.
0: Yeah, exactly. So uh, we've got two interesting examples here already, actually, of um, the um, the English and the Americans being separated by a com- common language. Because Azuka says, bro, I'm American. We would just say cigarette. Anything else makes me cringe. And that's oh, oh, yeah. right. Yeah. And, of course, uh, yeah, we've also got... Did we have
2: the use of we, fag in there, did we?
0: We did, indeed. And, we also, yeah. and, and, and you were responsible for introducing bums. And then, of course, um, that's <laughs> a, that has a different meaning, too, in the States, actually. <laughs> yes. Yeah, of course, yeah. Yeah, we got ourselves a complete mess here. What do you think, Andy? What else else to happen if we bum a fag? Um, Oh, (laughs) oh no! Oh, no! You better explain what that means, actually. It does mean something in English. (laughs)
1: That means means borrow a cigarette. Exactly, uh...
0: exactly, exactly.
1: Um, I've bummed many a fag in my ears. You and me both, mate. It's true confessions. Um... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I live in Brighton um, <laughs> um, so you're, uh, I'm reading Rivers of London at the moment and and the oh. opening line really reminded me of Rivers in London what what he got with the Dan, I forget his second name he's doing really successfully with that ace cup yeah. he's got a lot of drama and he adds those little incidental witty sort of erroneous comments on it to sort of drop the drama a level but at the same time it keeps you laughing and then wanting to to go on, I think what you've done here, unfortunately, has always already been said. Is like you've got that one gag in the first line, and then you're really just drawing it out yeah. for the rest of the page. I and we agree. get to the end of the page where you're saying, "Yes, there's definitely a dead woman in the bed," although well, the, you know you've already told that the reader that in in page one. So you're losing all that tension yeah, exactly. on the way there, and that yeah. kind of like, "Oh, should I get out of the bed? What? What kind of?" What, what direction do I get out of the bed in? Is I think you're in, you're in real danger there, whether this is a comedy or not, of losing any sympathy for your character and yeah. draining out all the tension of the situation by doing that. And unfortunately, I think that's what happens. By the end of it, there, there's one of those, again, one of those asides, which I think is, I like, I like the tone of it, but you're saying his experience with women was that they, they definitely had a name. It's just, i would just i would row back on that kind of stuff i would i you know, agree yes i don't think that is the joke yeah you want to be saying yeah matt has picked that me. up
0: yeah i might pick yeah, that I up in the He said the humor here was more uncomfortable creepy than haha ha, i'm having fun and i think that nails it yeah
1: yeah so you're losing sympathy for for both the, the main character and and the writer i think with those kind of jokes so
0: yeah. Yeah. Speak, yeah fair enough and, uh, apropos your previous comments, Vagabond, uh, says Beardy Andy is X-rated. Yes! <laughs> We've got a new incarnation here. It could be fun. Who knows? <laughs> it could get us completely delisted. Um, that's great. Let's look at the numbers. Everyone has voted. Not, uh, not too bad there, Robert. Not too bad. Um, I've given you fairly low marks, as you can see, for commercial potential. I can't easily send... And what what does that mean? What does that mean? It means, can I sell it? Simple as that. Can I make some money out of it? Because that's what Asians are. I mean, we put ourselves on these high and mighty thrones as arbiters of taste. We're not really. We're just trying to make money. Like your house trying to make some money. Uh, Could I make some money out of it? Mm, It's not an easy sell. Not an easy sell for me. So I could be wrong though, that's where, you know, you'll, you'll find lots of different agents will have lots of different takes on it, but I can't see, easily see the market for that. Never mind, we're off to a good start. Mm-hmm. And here we go, submission number two, I think uh, we were off to a good start on that actually. This is from Ken, uh, there's like you. you may wonder well, those funny th- squiggles are on the left. QR code, of course. Um, we'll all have them burnt into, into our uh, bodies soon, I think. And that will take you... I think it'll take you to Ken's website, but I don't really know, to be honest. It could be anywhere. So why don't you try and tell me where it leads you to. It's a comic novel set in the 1930s. That sounds fun. And it's called The Duke's Portrait. And this is the blurb. The Duke's portrait is a story of sex, drugs and, not rock and roll, but art forgery set in 1937. Charles Goodgame is a portrait painter who's in love with his stepsister Polly Capstan. She works for the Duke of, okay, deep breath came up, berfoutonly, berfoutonly, probably pronounced Chumley, I should think, um, who lives in a crumbling stately home in Gloucestershire. Polly invites Charles to paint a portrait of the Duke, but when he arrives, she has a different and more dangerous plan to copy and steal a Van Gogh portrait that the Duke owns. <gasps> it all goes wrong. Good. I'm glad it goes wrong. Otherwise it wouldn't be much of a story, really. Would it? Um, let me tell everyone about you, Ken. I've been writing English language teaching books all my adult life. Wow. And I've sold, listen on. Listen to this, this is amazing, and I've sold more than 10 million books before I wrote my first work of fiction. Fantastic. You don't say um, what area you're writing, I'd like to know, actually. After completing a Master's in Creative Writing in 2017 at Birkbeck College, I completed The Duke's Portrait, and it was published by Europe Books in November 2021. 20, I'm now writing the sequel King and Country which is set a year later in London and Berlin. I'm also completing a series of short stories called The Middle of Somewhere, which I'm going to publish in the autumn. I was born in Salford, and now live in London with my American wife, Dee Dee, and a Bengal cat named Ruby. How very nice, and even nicer, um, will be this reading from Hannah.
4: The Duke's Portrait by Ken Wilson, read by Hannah. Chapter One. It's pronounced Burley, actually. Monday, the 15th of February, 1937. Stamford St. Mary, Overcast and chilly. Travelling third class on the Paddington to Cheltenham stopping train, Charles Goodgame drifted off to sleep somewhere near Reading. When he woke up, the train was rattling past farmland and rain was spattering against the windows. A couple of pasty-faced old people, a vicar and a woman, were in the seats next to the door on the opposite side of the compartment. The vicar's head was drooped over his chest and he was snoring loudly. Charles smiled at the woman, but when he opened his mouth to speak, she looked away. Excuse me, said Charles. The woman continued to look out of the window. Excuse me, he repeated a little louder. Reluctantly, the woman turned to look at him. Would you happen to know what time it is, he asked. The woman leaned forward and tapped the vicar on the shoulder. Cedric, she hissed. This failed to wake him up, so she kicked him firmly on the shin. Oof, he said opening his eyes. He rubbed his shin, then glared at the woman. Did you just kick me? She jerked her head to indicate Charles. The vicar turned and glared at him instead. Sorry to be a problem, said Charles. Would you know the time? I'm getting off at Stamford St. Mary. Train should get there about ten to three. I wanted to make sure I haven't missed the stop. The vicar took out his pocket watch and looked at it. It's five and twenty to three, he said. Oh, marvellous, thank you, said Charles. Better get my things together. The couple turned and stared out of the window again. Charles wondered why they were so unfriendly. They were dressed top to toe in black and their general demeanour suggested they were on their way to a former funeral. Charles was wearing a cream suit with a bright green pullover over a white shirt a long red scarf and scuffed brown boots. His mustard-coloured fedora was on the seat next to him, and his sandy hair was sticking out at angles. Were his clothes too bright for them? Too untidy? Maybe they were alarmed by the broad smile on his face. He couldn't help it. He was excited at the prospect of seeing his stepsister, Polly, for the first time since Christmas, knowing that he would finally be able to spend time with her away from the rich young men who clustered around her like moths in London. The thought he would have her all to himself made him chuckle out loud. The vicar and his wife looked at him again, alarmed. The train whistled and slowed as it approached Stamford St Mary's station. Charles took his suitcase and wooden box down from the luggage rack, forgetting that his portfolio was under the suitcase. The door to the platform was on the side of the tray where the couple were sitting. He tried not to stand on their feet as he moved towards the door, but the wooden box he was carrying struck the vicar on the side of his head. Oof, said the vicar for a second time. Sorry, said Charles. The vicar said something under his breath that he would probably have to apologise for the next time he prayed. Charles pushed open the door and stepped onto the platform. Awfully nice to have met you, he said with a smile, and slammed the door. He put the suitcase and the box down and promptly fell over them. A tall man wearing a hat with Station Master, written on a metal label, marched down the platform, grabbed one of his arms and tugged him to his feet. Ouch! um, Thank you, said Charles. Oh, bugger, he added when he realised that his portfolio and hat were still on the train. Hold on a sec. He turned to get back into the compartment, but the station master continued to hold his arm in an iron grip. I say, can you let go? said Charles. I need to get back on the train. The train is about to depart, said the station master, and blew his whistle. Charles pulled away from him, opened the compartment door and leapt inside. The station master slammed the door and blew his whistle again. When the train started moving, Charles had no choice but to lean up and pull the communication cord. The train braked and he fell and landed heavily in the vicar's lap.
0: Yeah, total class act there, Hannah. Thank you very much. Great reading. And talking about class act... <laughs> Uh, no. Where, where, where do we begin? Genius. absolutely on fire today. Just fabulous stuff going on there. Um, so, as I always say, I'm going to say again, actually, if you uh, really want to, to get to grips with readers' first reactions, just freeze-frame it right now, on the recording. Freeze-frame and just read every single word. I'll try to summarise a bit. Um, RG says, solid blurb. Uh, a bit long needs a prune. Annie says, sex, drugs and art forgery. Just my cup of tea. I felt so too, actually, initially. Yeah, it was very interesting. Uh, Matt says duke's portrait does not say funny and it doesn't um any yeah title says romance it does uh sounds intriguing bit of a lark says johnny um and then a couple of people are a bit confused by the self-publishing thing. Annie says, is the author looking to publish again? The vagabond says, so if this is already published, why are we reading it? Or did I hear that wrong? No, it's, it's quite common, actually. Um, you know, if, if you have a self-publishing success, and actually some of the biggest hits in recent years have initially started out of self-publishing, actually. So if you have a self-publishing uh, success, you will find that traditional publishers will be more than open. But of course, if you don't, if you go on the self-publishing route and it kind of sells um, five copies, that's kind of proved to traditional publishing that it's not commercial. So it is a bit of a high-risk strategy. Uh, Pamela says, Sex and drugs of 1930s confuses me. I expect Dukes in 1930s to mo- to be more in the Woodhouse sort of vein. That's exactly what I thought. I was hoping for Woodhouse. My God, you know, Ken, you're taking on the best in the in the world there, really. Um, Terry says, more. Uh, Terry is another one of our successful uh, humorous authors here. Um, respect, Terry. More of a mini-synopsis than a blurb. A, a blopsis. <laughs> as I think Johnny once called it uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, Vagabond, not very interesting. Opening either oh my goodness, what sort a of question! How's that? Oh, That's right, let's roll this for something else, a bit pedestrian so far, says Annie Hannah, our narrator. Writing flowed well, but I felt the author was writing himself in some of it was very slapstick, which would have worked well visually, didn't quite come off on paper. How do we feel about this, Andy?
1: yeah um i was distracted in the blurb by your uh comedy names and 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 for me your comedy names didn't land unfortunately and um, there are some authors who are really good at this obviously uh, jk rowling rib- does fantastic names but you know charles goodgame polly capstan and then the duke of whatever that was yes <laughs> you sort of lost me in the blurb with those i'm afraid um and then with, with you on the train, drifting off to sleep somewhere near Reading, there, there's something about that, that that's quite that's <laughs> comfortable and, it's and very comfortable. I'm like, oh, okay I'll go with that, yeah we're drifting off the train, I mean you yeah. wouldn't, you wouldn't, you you know, would. wouldn't want to open your eyes to Reading, obviously you want to sail right through, but um, but then we had this whole kind of like, you know, what's going on in the train, there's a vicar, so and so, and I. it was, for me, it was just a little bit boring I'm afraid. Um, and I was kind of, I was kind of like, is any of this really necessary? I just, I wasn't getting any real sense of drama or tension or an awful lot of comedy, um, and, and I found myself losing interest. And there were like phrases like, "clustered like moths in London" that I didn't uh-huh. quite understand. Uh-huh. Um, and then, and then ha- his idea of having his hot uh, stepsister to himself, I thought was a bit. With.
0: Yes, what does that mean? Um,
1: <laughs> yes, exactly. And ouches. And then and, and I, think, I think what now nailed it for me was like, you've got to the point where you're, you're, na- you're describing the station master's enamel badge. And that mm. for me just, just reads, there's just too much description. You're telling us yeah. way too much. Yeah. Just, just tell us who the character is, start to tell us what the story is, rather yeah. than all this background and stuff. Yes, when you've fallen into the vicar's lap, we've got the laugh, there's, there's a reason for it, fair enough, but there was too much in there to, mm. to, to get up for us to get invested in to be with you in that, I think.
0: I, uh, I can only echo, actually, what you said, and I think I think part of the genius of comic writing is knowing what to leave out, actually, just going through and asking, it, is this word working hard enough? Is this sentence working hard enough? If it's not, you've just, just got to lose it. And now on badges, I mean, where's the humour, really? What did you think, Dean?
1: Yeah,
2: I mean... Um there's not much more I can add, really. That Andy hasn't really already covered. I'm, I'm pretty much 100 yeah. with it with, with Andy on that and the Genius Room. Unfortunately, um, I, I did love the blurb. You know, when I read the blurb, I thought, "Wow, that sounds great." You know, it, it promised so much. I was so excited by it. Um, but unfortunately for me, and, I, and I, you know, I, I think we've most the, the consensus is that it. It didn't quite get us there, you know. Didn't quite. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I didn't engage with it. Similar to Andy, I, I found some of it boring. Some of the um, the descriptions in there, you know, I mean, we had quite a long description about um, what uh, it, was, it was. Charles wasn't it? Charlie was a, a protagonist. What he was wearing, and yeah, it kind of just got a bit slow. Um, I haven't really had have any laughs yet, you know. <laughs> um,
0: I've got lots of laughs in the genius room, actually, I must say. <laughs> it's such good form today. Pamela says, have a look. Very good advice, Pamela. Actually, have a look at Travels My Aunt, Graham Green. That's drugs, sex, and crime in a martini shaker. And then, B. Yavin. I think we, we've uh, crossed paths before, but welcome. B. Yavin says, at a certain level, all British accents are funny here in Pennsylvania, but not funny enough to carry the story. Yeah, and Pamela Joe says, bugger is one of those words. That Americans think is about bugs, so harmless.
5: <clears throat> yes, <quite. laughs>
0: exactly. Good. All right. So we've got Woodhouse line: how to write a three hundred page book in which every page is funny. Write a six hundred page book and toss all the unfunny bits. That's right. I mean, that's that's encapsulated everything you need to do. Actually, just throughout the, and I, I suspect that's what Woodhouse did do. I think he was probably a prodigiously good self editor, actually. Um, but you know creating a story that's a heist in that time period you are inevitably going to draw comparisons to the Woodhouse and anyone who, who does that is very brave and if they do it well they're going to be very rich but I don't think it's quite come off let's look at the numbers, 48 Forty-eight And lots and lots of good feedback there for you, Ken. So hopefully you're pleased with that, and we're pleased with you. Thank you for sending in uh, your submission. By the way, you can tell us what you think, you know. You don't have to sit there. You say, oh, you can say, a load of rubbish. Well, fine, tell us. Tell us. And we, we like that. Uh, that's what these comment boxes are for underneath. So, yeah, you feel like that? If you like anything, actually, saying is... Or, it's, or actually asking a question. People ask questions quite a lot in the comments. Do that, too. <laughs> And here we go to, we're past the halfway point now. It's surface Living, it's comic fiction, it's from Mark. And this is Mark's blurb. Surface Fiction, uh, Surface Living, not Surface Fiction, Surface Friction, Surface Living is a comic novel set in an imaginary Irish town about an anarchistic septuagenarian, Henry, trying to figure out what he's missing in life. Unsure if the fault is of his own making or with life itself. He continues his lifelong search for a mythical treasure, believing it will bring contentment only to find contentment lies much closer to home. Mark says, as this is my first novel, I have no achievements as a writer. My degrees are in engineering and physiology and I work in IT. I'm married, mid-40s and have a small family. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you! (laughs) No, no, thank you. Thank you very much, Mark, and thank you very much to
5: Johnny. For this reading. Surface Living by Mark Jordan. Read by John. Every day I wake and say Henry. Recognizing my name, my own voice, I feel an intense feeling of aliveness. There is a great consolation in knowing I'm not dead, in being able to live today, any day for that matter, at my age. But then the thoughts begin, arresting my consciousness and imprisoning me in a cloud of unfulfillment, closing me down and leaving me desolate. So I get up as fast as my supple 78-year-old frame allows. Was I 76 or 78? I can't remember now, but I'm getting up faster these days for some reason. I put on my shorts and go for my run, which keeps me in good form. I run early, pre-dawn in these summer months, three miles with the dog tied to my hip. He's the fourth dog I've gone through since taking up running last year. The first one bit me, the little shit. The next two refused to come back and kept running. Where they thought they were going to, I don't know, but they were certainly in a hurry to get there, judging by the way they scarpered when I let them off the lead. Maybe they were running away instead of towards something, possibly away from me. Anyway, this one is getting on fine so far, I think the rope is helping us bond. So off we run. Zeus waddling about four feet behind me, and the pendulum moving between consolation and desolation as I struggle to figure out what it is I'm still missing at my age. It's hard enough to find something you've lost, but not knowing what you're looking for in the first place seems very unfair. It's like existence itself, or God if that's how you say it all, is playing games with me. But such is life, my life anyway. Sometimes I worry I've lost it, my mind that is, and I have to be careful not to get too worked up about it. Trying to find an answer without a question is enough to get someone my age committed, and I'm not even sure it's an answer I'm looking for. I just feel incomplete, which means there must be more of me to be found. At the end of the drive, I turn right. I never bother closing the gate as nobody visits. I told the postman to feck off years ago, nosy out bollocks that he is. Instead, I visit the post office in the town once a week, where I also do my banking. I'm borrowed from the only bank in town, unfortunately. It's a long story, to do with the origins of capitalism and the birth of commerce. The cashier seemed less concerned with my theory than the growing queue behind me, so too the bank manager who called the security guard, and the rest is history as they say. The bank's loss is what I say, because I'm not exactly short of a few quid. Another left and we're trotting down Victoria Road towards town, then right at the edge of town and under the railway bridge which leads to the beach. Here Zeus gets excited and tries to break off on his own but I up the pace and give the rope a good sharp tug to bring him to heel. The irony that force is required to encourage him in his role of companion doesn't escape me, but relationships are really a combination of contradictions married to each other. And I can understand the issues with companionship as well. It doesn't sit with my disposition either. So when he settles again, I let out a bit of rope to give him that false sense of autonomy. You see, I've had plenty of experience of relationships over the years. We follow the beach beyond the harbour to the cliff walk and the ground rises as we hug the edge of the cliff heading north.
0: Thank you, Johnny, and you've got lots of, uh, lots of praise in the genius room for your reading. Um, bang on with the voice, says Mal. yeah. Um, and Hannah is uh, straight in there with, a, I think, a very astute comment saying, uh, for comedy, I'll show you. I don't just read it, I'll show you. Um, for comedy, please give us something funny in the first paragraph. I want to know, I, I'm I'm settling into what I hope to find. I, I agree with that. Subtle humour, says RG, full of double meanings. Is it enough of a hook, though? Nice voice, says Annie but it needs some serious trimming I think we're too deep in the author's head Vagabond he goes on a bit doesn't he yeah he's old isn't he and B. Irvin says if this is comedy I'm not sure I want to read his introspective but I try imagining the late Robin Williams playing this guy in the movie version i tell you something it reminded me of actually doing the reading and I had to check on Wikipedia for the whole title here it's a Swedish uh, apparently bestseller and a film too uh, the hundred year old man who climbed out of the window and disappeared ok it reminds me a bit of that but the crucial thing about that is that and that wasn't to everyone's says by any means I didn't particularly like the film but um, the thing about that is it was absurdist absurdist right and that is a very very effective form of humour and I think we're moving a little bit in that way Mark but I don't think we're, we're going the whole by any means. What do you think Dean, in first reactions?
2: Well I, I, I really like the the, uh, the blurb. I was intrigued by the blurb. Um, even though I wasn't entirely sure what the book was going to be about um, it was enough to kind of get me interested, you know, it kind of spiked my interest um, I think the actual the writing itself, I found it, it kind of had a, a naivety about it um, that's, you know it, it that you would kind of expect from a first-time author or a want of a better word an amateur writer but i actually quite like that i found it authentic um i'm not sure how much of it was down to the great narration by john because i think that did a lot for it but i love the voice i love the voice and i love the the character um you know even though there's not much happening yet i did engage with it okay um,
0: good you know, yeah. at
2: this point I would want to read on or listen on um, I, I guess the only thing I would say as a word of caution is um, is the voice uh, is, is that enough You know, so far I'm loving the voice and I'm loving the main character um, I don't know what's going to happen beyond this we can only judge it on these 800 words um, so
4: yeah.
2: is it going to be enough to carry it through a whole novel I don't know at this point but so far I've been enjoying it
0: Good, excellent. Well, we got some uh, positive reactions to the in the um, uh, genius stream. Azuku says, You see, I'm trimming off the tongue better than it was. Maybe you don't have to change your name. Azuku says, Some irony here, false autonomy in relation to etc., but not enough to be funny to me. Argy says, I think this could be funny with a really good edit. It It needs to be more wry. Um, B. Yavin says, This is interesting. I didn't know there's a word here. Ah, oh, it's got double meaning. If he'd he bum, pram, fag, or push chair. I don't know what pram or f means. I know what they mean in English. Am I being very naive? Oh look, Dean's smiling. Is it something you can you can discuss on YouTube or what? Isn't it is it not? <laughs> oh, it's not. It's, I'm saying not I so I'm hopelessly not. It's not. not.
5: Okay.
0: <laughs> All right, well you have to tell me after the show in that case. Right. <laughs> something to look forward to. What do you think, Andy?
1: I agree with Dean. I think this is my favourite one by far so far. Um, it wasn't. It wasn't laugh out funny, um, but I think you're right in your uh, that the similarity to a hundred old man who climbed out the window. I have read that, and there was definitely uh, similarities. Oh. But there were no, some really nice lines in this. I thought. I thought. I think surface living is not a bad title. Mm-hmm. Um, There's great consolation in knowing I'm not dead. You know that I mean, no one's going to fall out of their chair with laughter at that, but yeah, it is witty, and it sets up your your character really really nicely. Um, I like the bit about you know he's the he's the fourth dog I've gone through since I started running a year ago, and when it gets to the point <laughs> where I think that is good, off, isn't it? Actually, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. it is good, yeah.
1: and also it tells you about the character because he's only started running a year ago. He's seventy-eight, so he's obviously That's he right. wants to keep existing. You know. <laughs> And he is someone yeah. uh, quite subtle. I think what I wrote down here is there's a real poignant universal question at the heart of this. Uh, which I think is, you know, again, I don't it's I wouldn't say you're really mining it for comedy, huh. but nevertheless, we are all gonna get old, hopefully. You know, we live in a world where huh. we are sort of looking at the horizon of an old folks home and and senility. And, and, well, it's because you, know, you and, live in and, and Brighton,
0: of course. That, 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 is, that is what is on the horizon there. But it's not everywhere. <laughs> well,
1: Can I just
2: chip in bad. here, Andy? Do you mind? Yeah, go on. Sorry. Well, I was, I was going to agree with Andy on that subject because I, I think what's worth, worthy of mention is the author, he, he's actually he's only 45, I think, or, or, or thereabouts. Uh, yeah, uh, uh, mid-40s,
0: mid-for- yeah.
2: Yeah, so actually I think he's done a really good job in... in um, you know, you know not say write about what you know, but the the character yeah. obviously talking about being in his late seventies. But and I oh. think that again, it, it, there's an authenticity there. You could believe that the, the author perhaps was of that age.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think yeah. He's, yeah. he's projecting that that late night, that late life anxiety, isn't he? And, yeah. and I think mm. he's doing that, that quite successfully. And and you know, he's he's got courage. I mean, that uh, the 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 irony forced forced uh, force requirement to encourage companionship you know that's quite that's quite bold and and yeah, and yeah there's there a truth behind it and then you know one would question you know your, your relationships and, and, and how they form and, and you know yeah. and ha- the, the discipline required to keep relationships going mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. so I think there was actually quite a lot going on in that I agree with Dean I think we probably need a little bit more of a plot to, to, to really you know get us motoring on it but, uh, yeah. but I, I, I appreciate it. I thought it
0: was good. Fantastic, and of course, Hannah, yeah, spot on again. Uh, one foot in the grave. Yeah, great older person here. Absolutely. Um, Reminding me of the unlikely pilgrimage of Harold Fry says Martin, which I do not. I'm not familiar with, and in the same way, I'm not familiar with prams or pushchairs. Um, I don't know what they mean. Then B R V is tantalising me. They're all words that Americans recognise as British without having any idea what they mean. Is that true? I don't know. Uh, Oh, dear, oh, dear, oh, dear. I'm getting in a mess. Let's and have a one, look at the numbers. One thing
1: we should mention is, is the formatting needed sorting out. There was way too much of a block of text. And and you really yeah. did luck out getting John as your narrator because he read it perfectly. So Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. It is there true.
1: Was, there were some like run-on sentences as well, wasn't there?
2: Um, especially in the blurb. Some of the sentences, they ran on a bit. They needed a little bit of... Um, mm.
0: Yeah, just a, just explain it, that yeah. for Mark, because this is, this is Mark's first time. Mark, you're, you're getting a very good reaction here, actually. Just explain that, Dean, please, what you just said.
2: Um, so, using running on sentences, so, uh, you know, just... just, I mean, don't put a full stop in with it for the sake of it, but, um, you know, if, if a sentence runs on more than three or four lines, it, it starts to get a bit... Where, the the you know, reader gets a bit wary, and you get a bit confused Dickensia. about where you are.
0: yeah. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Brilliant. yeah. Keep, it, keep it concise, that's the thing, isn't it, really?
0: Absolutely good. Well, let's look at the numbers. Ooh, rather good, I think, Mark. You should, should feel pleased with that. And you've got lots of perspicacious comments there from our panelists and um, the Genius room of course, as always. My own feeling would be taking it, taking more absurdist, just, you know. Put your foot on the the gas pedal and really let it rip, actually, the the absurd aspect. And who knows? Who knows where you can go with that? Let's go on to... uh, Meanwhile, we're going to submission number four. Here we are. That's from Alex. Hopefully you're with us, Alex, and there's a link there. Comic Murder Mystery... So you kind of combining two genres there, which I love, both of them, fantastic. A brand to die for. Really short blurb. I like, I like short blurbs. Being fired by an ad agency is one thing. Being shot and then stabbed with a copywriter's pen is quite another. I think it is, I can appreciate the difference. Uh, Let me tell you about Alex. I'm a retired advertising copywriter. No surprise, actually. (laughs) Mm. Uh, Brand to Die For was my third novel. My first was the children's urban fantasy Sleeping with the the Blackbirds. I, I like that. Sleeping with the Blackbirds. Which is long listed for the Millennium Books Award 2018 and selected by the Indie Author Project. My thriller, The Chairman was a finalist in the Wishing Shelf Book Awards 2021. Both books have been Kindle bestsellers and have enjoyed in excess of 36,000 downloads on Amazon alone. Congratulations. My latest published book, 100 Ways to Write a Book, is a a 674-page compilation of 100 author interviews in which a diverse range of independent and best-selling authors talk about their backgrounds, motivations and working methods. All proceeds go to Penn International, a very worthy cause and a very distinguished reading from uh, one of our narrators who I I could listen to all day and all night. If uh, Martin was going to read the phone book, I would listen to it, and I'm definitely going to listen to this.
6: A Brand to Die For by Alex, read by Martin. It was one of those fucking awful grey, damp and bitterly cold days in June that England was so good at. Angus Lovejoy didn't want to be here, obviously. Who'd choose to be at a funeral for someone you'd never known? Personally, that is. Of course, he knew who Danny Messini had been. He'd been Messini of Brass Messini-Pocock, the ad agency he now found himself working at. Well, the word working may have been pushing it a tad. He'd been here for a month now and still hadn't received a sodding creative brief. Not that he was complaining. If truth be known, he'd been a a bitter disappointment to his parents. They had had high hopes for him. They had set their sights on the Foreign Office. But it all started going horribly wrong when he'd been sent down for Charterhouse for shagging the Chancellor's daughter in the cricket pavilion. Still, as far as he was concerned, he envisaged a reasonably bright future for himself in the advertising game. BMP was, after all, one of London's most creative hot shops and its creative director Magnus O'Shea had loved his portfolio of TV scripts and press ads. The agency had been informed of Danny Massini's premature demise no more than a week ago. It was Dick, his chauffeur, who had broken the news. Dick was a lovely man who had been affectionately known by one and all as Danny's Dick. Danny needless to say, had been gay, flamboyant and about about as promiscuous as it was possible to be. He'd made his name in the 50s as a TV producer when commercial television was just starting out and had single-handedly set up one of London's first commercial production companies. On the back of his early success, he'd then gone on to set up his own advertising agency and was eventually bought out on very amicable and favourable terms by the current partners. In fact, he had even retained an office in the building from which he apparently wrote TV commercials for his own client, some large part work magazine publisher. The strange thing was about Danny Massini may have been, the strange thing was that Danny Massini may have been a clever sod with a certain charm and a twinkle in his eye, but according to everyone who knew knew him, He didn't possess a single creative bone in his body, and the commercials he penned for his client were something of an embarrassment to the agency. Indeed, the management never knowingly advertised the fact. The vicar had finished his short address and had now gesticulated to an old boy in a morning suit and tails who stumbled forward to the dais and coughed and spluttered into the microphone. Mm. Today is a very sad day. My name is Bernard Smythe Rodney, and I knew Danny way back in the 50s when we worked together producing TV commercials for the likes of Player Cigarettes and Johnny Walker. Those were the days. What a lovely man he was, salt of the earth. They just don't make him like that anymore. Angus was sitting next to a man in a trench coat that he had spoken to earlier. He'd been the agency's first creative director, and now that man was discreetly leaning forward and whispering into Angus's ear. Funny that, I always thought he was a bit of a shit. Chapter One. The office on the corner of Great Pulteney Street, Soho, was a terrific location for any self-respecting creative advertising agency that prided itself on producing innovative, award-winning campaigns. Soho was a seething hotbed of creativity between the seedy sex shops and massage parlours, ad agencies rubbed shoulders with production companies, recording studios, illustration studios, editing suites and publishing houses. And after working hours, the bars and bistros were full to the gum whales, with creative types and celebrities from the world of showbiz. It was clearly the place to be seen. (laughs) Unfortunately for Brass Messini Pocock, Paddy O'Leary and Sean Flaherty also thought it was a good place to park themselves and the precise location in Soho that they favoured was the large red-tiled doorstep on the corner of Pulteney Street with its fancy glass doors. So had had its fair share of vagrants and door sleepers and Paddy and Sean were very much part of that community.
0: Thank you very much, uh, Martin. So let me just say, uh, because Martin just tripped over a sentence there. So let me just tell you, actually, Alex, the instructions we give to our narrators are... Do not one take, deal one take, don't do any edits. If you if you trip over something, leave it in. Um, because it may well be something to do with the the way it's written. Or I think in this case actually, just just working it out. I think it's presentation issue actually. And you understand all about presentation being an ex ad man, Ooh, we know all about them. Uh, and half of them do have novels in their bottom drawers actually. Um so I think it's presentation and it's the leading is a bit too tight, line leading is a bit too tight, paragraphs are very dense. Uh, Change the, your uh, body uh, typeface to something that's sans-serif, please. It's easy to read and just looks nice on the page. Um, you just uh, brush up the presentation a bit, I think you'll find it. It does count. It counts for something. I'm not just being finicky It really does count, uh, as you know very well, being in advertising. Uh, genius room. Lots and lots of uh, oh, excellent reactions, actually. Needs a funny scene to start, says James. I think there's quite a lot of support for that. Uh, Brev with the blurb, says Matt, screams. We're getting right to it. The opening does not. How true. What a very good observation. RG, please have this as chapter one. It's not a prologue at all. Hardly any stories need them. Yes. Uh, make this chapter one and tighten it up. Polished, entertaining, just a bit. This is Martin on writer. Polished, entertaining, just a bit of exposition, stodge. Yes. Stodge off strong, says Annie i'm starting to lose interest and that's echoed by several other people and glenn says love the last line sarah i can't get into this um vagabond don't want to try to remember all those names right at the beginning yes another good point uh last line was good says annie should have gotten to it quick quickly and terry of course another one of our uh humorous uh writers actually a broadcast nice punchline at the end of the prologue but took a long time to get there what do you think dean
2: um, I love the title. I think Brand to Die For is a great title. Um, I actually quite like the concise blurb. You know, there's just a couple mm. of lines of blurb there. I mean, think that was, that was quite good. Um, I like the fact that the guy, uh, Alex, that he worked in advertising, again, you know, write about what you know, that's all good. Um, but when we got into the actual text, I was a little bit confused and I was laughing. Um. P- but probably not for the right reasons. uh huh um, <laughs> I, I, I just... I've had it all as just a bit, like... Uh... I don't know. I, mean, I think somebody said in the chat room. It was it Johnny? Said, "Oh, matron," and it was, yes, it was that kind of thing of Johnny. you know yeah. shagging the chancellor's daughter in the cricket pavilion and uh, Tick the chauffeur. Those who, are the days. Needless to say, needless yeah. to say, he was gay. didn't they? I don't know why. <laughs> yeah. I don't know why. But apparently, needless to say, he was gay. Um, yeah. And then uh, it just got a little bit weird. I mean, unless I unless I totally misunderstood it, and it was a complete spoof. Uh, of that kind of thing then fine but I, I i'm sorry i just i i was confused you know throughout. Yeah. um i was laughing yeah. but i'm not sure if i was laughing
0: yeah
2: at what i should have been laughing at
0: yeah well any, any laugh is if good makes, laugh of course exactly. yeah well,
2: i mean yeah it was it was, it was amusing <laughs> it was amusing enough but uh yeah, yeah i i mean, uh, another little thing I'd pick up on is it, it started with, with weather. You know, Elmore Leonard says never start with weather.
0: Um, I definitely you know, really started, oh,
2: it was, Yeah, it was dull and grey and windy. Oh, that way. Well, oh, WH, too.
0: yeah, absolutely. No, we see lots of yeah, submissions well, yeah, like that. Yeah. It. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's, it's yeah. the worst it's thing in the like, world. Just you know, oh, yeah.
2: say it's England. We'll, we'll get the picture, you know.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, well, not at the moment, of course, <laughs> but... Uh, no, no, well, yeah.
2: <laughs> not today. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I mean, maybe it's just me. I, I was just a bit confused by the whole thing. I didn't really understand what was happening there.
0: And Vagabond, this is the last comment in the genius Vagabond was actually by the cricket pavilion at Charterhouse the other week.
2: What
1: was <laughs> going on inside? Did you, did you notice at all? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Andy? Uh, yeah, I mean, obviously, like, you know, a lot of comedy dines on cliches, but there were just way too many cliches here for me. Wait a it and you're not again with your names you know angus lovejoy well you're never going to escape actual lovejoy from tv so so cross that one out for a start Mark, was it magnus o'shea and paddy o'leary come on didn't Cliche, you yeah, yes, it's yes. too many to and, and then that, we went on you know the, the promiscuous gay chauffeur you know that mm-hmm. he was actually a piece of shit at a funeral you know cd soho we've just been here so many times before well and you I may have been before.
0: a seedy so- soho several times before that's only
1: because you got a grand chance before. yeah, Not yeah every every week also, yeah <laughs> <laughs> um it's, it's just, i i did find it a little bit annoying i'm sorry like as again as, as dean pointed out you know a damp and bitterly cold day in june well a you know that's so typical uh, a description of London, but B, have you been in London in June recently? It's <laughs> yeah. actually a forest fire. Exactly. Uh, and, and then we were way too quickly into the backstory and it was, it, you know, it was just rambling from one anecdote to another anecdote. We couldn't really follow it properly. And ultimately I think at the heart here, you've got uh, you know, a, 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 an ad exec who's angry and callous and it's oh. difficult enough for us to have sympathy for an ad exec mm. without making them angry and callous as well. Give us a reason for them to be angry and callous. They've got a broken heart. They had you know, an issue with their parents or something and, and and we might go with you but at the moment you've got an angry ad exec who's being callous about people and throwing lots of cliches around and that yeah. for me does not make for a happy time. Oh, It's
0: a bit dated too isn't it actually I think if you're going to talk about Ad agencies in Soho, and you know, the height of Soho basically, you've got to you take us back there, take us back there. But there's yeah. this kind of an unspoken assumption, I think, Alex, are, you know, that we're sort of living in, in that era now, and we're not, of course, things have changed an awful lot. Um, thank you, guys, great reaction there. Let's have a look at the numbers as every, everyone punched their buttons. Yeah, I've got a 57 pretty tight bunching of the scores today, so let's just look at the overall score and it's from yeah it's from 52 to 69 so you've done all right with that actually alex uh yeah yeah winning the title you're winning the blurb so far we did appreciate the brevity of that blurb actually we did like that but we do have one more to go and this is it perverts and protestants i can't believe it perverts and protestants it's humor with a u tells you it's english doesn't it uh, it's from matthew and this is matthew's blurb the tale of chris matheson and a journey that he takes along with his very camp and very likely imaginary alter ego An irreverent look at life in hospital. Along the way, we encounter a skewered testicle. (laughs) A public revolution, a Nazi war criminal masquerading as the chief of medicine, a defiled Disney princess, a hand job at a funeral. Very popular things, I believe, actually. There's lots of sex guys on at funerals. Not speaking from experience, obviously. A gas-inducing lesbian. I don't know what that means at all. A baby-eating sister-in-law. The cucumber-gate scandal. And a gonad. We've got two lots of testes. A gonad-grabbing fracture nurse. (laughs) Anyone for a friendship hug? I'm still thinking a lot about that. A lot about that. Um, And I have misplaced your bio. No, I haven't. Here we go, Matthew. Um... An odd mind, packaged in an oddly-shaped body. I think you're referring to yourself, or well, possibly me, I don't know, you don't say. I'm 50 years old, probably 51 by the time you read this. Are uh, you ageing prematurely? And this is my first novel, after a lifetime of promising myself I would write one. I've done some travelling too, uh, so I feel worldwise. I've married my love, fantastic, well done, and marvel at her wisdom and caring each and every day. And I've created life, I've created life that fills my heart with limitless joy, yet empties my wallet with a simple smile. Oh, that's nice. That's kind of poetical, actually, isn't it? It's lyrical. It's lyrical. And so is this reading from Emily.
3: Perverts and Protestants by Matthew, read by Emily. Chapter one. I don't like cricket. I won't lie to you, Christopher. I thought that you would turn out a lot better than this. These were harsh words for any 12-year-old to hear, particularly based solely upon his failure to reach the heady heights of inclusion within the local junior cricket team. Chris had known that he was always going to be on the proverbial, sticky wicket, making the grade to attain a place in the hallowed ranks of the little Yendel Junior Eleven, due to three major facts that were always going to hold him back. One, he could not bat. Two, he could not bowl. Three, he could not give a flying fuck about cricket. He was scuppered from the start, really, and despite his father's encouragement and his own very lacklustre attempts, he could never believably fake an interest about the tedious activity of a bunch of old perverts dressing in white and gathering together on the village green every Sunday afternoon to thwack their leathery balls against linseed-coated logs of willow whilst trying to bugger all the local hairless boys that Father MacTouchy had failed to tempt into his vestry for ten Hail Marys, followed by plentiful bouts of bend-over naked, toe-touching. I'm sorry, Dad, I tried my best. Even though young Chris was far from convincing in his lie, it occurred to him that he didn't actually care one way or another if his disappointed father believed him or not. His father's snort of derision and the wrinkling of his fat, pasty face... The bristling of his 1970s porn star moustache and the shake of his blotchy jowls told Chris that his lie had failed to make it past his father's actually incredibly low level of bullshit detection. He was far from being the font of all knowledge or even classed as a remotely smart man but he had picked up on the whiff coming off that particular little fib. Don't lie to me Christopher, you've disappointed your whole family. A quick look around the room told Chris that his father was yet again quite wrong. His sister Abby was poking her less than beautiful face out from behind the sofa in order to gain a better view of the current dressing down being handed out by Matheson Senior and the look that was painted across her face was not that of disappointment but rather one of pure glee and smug satisfaction. Mother Matheson looked up from her sewing with a swift glance and glare that failed to conceal her annoyance at suddenly being included in a conversation that interested her less than the news at ten or current affairs in general. Chris was not overtly bothered by this most recent failure to gain paternal pride. Frankly, the man stank of body odour, yesterday's beer, bad breath and unrealized dreams. Hardly the greatest role model for a young man full of potential and certainly not one that Chris planned to base his life and future aspirations around. Chapter 2. I Don't Like Mondays It's 7.30ish on yet another Monday morning. The alarm has sounded three or four times. To tell the truth I'm not entirely sure which but I do know that I don't really care. The cheery tune that it plays was once a song that I used to love. The opening chords would have in times past made me smile like a loon dance like a fool and sing along like a seven-pint rock star. Now it fills me with a cold gut-wrenching dread that has probably been quietly teasing my restless, drunken slumber all night long. Nine minutes later and the dread is now fully awake unlike myself and running riot through my mind. It careers wildly between the euphoria of five o'clock on Friday afternoon and the nanosecond it took to reach the murky doldrums that I currently lie prostrate in, and all the beer, bad decisions and forgotten faces that lie in between. It whispers sarcastically in my ear that all of the normal folk are already up, breakfasted and merrily kissing the significant other a fond adieu as they depart on the school run.
5: sorry I was just so so busy making notes actually sorry to excuse me
0: um, so lots and lots of comments there um, and I'm sorry uh, to be honest I'm still going through the blurb actually um, trying to understand it let's have a look at the genius room and I think vagabond has summed up a lot of reactions here I can find the uh, yeah Vagamon said, and there's lots of comments coming, so it's scrolling quite quickly. Vagamon said, yikes, he's being highly insensitive about really serious issues. And I think that sums up a lot of people's reactions. Uh, Eva says the blurb was audacious enough to be humorous. Um, Annie says, could be very offensive. Maybe not. Um... And then RG goes on to say, hmm, being flippant about child abuse is not very 2022. Hannah says, I think I'm going to throw up. I don't mind a bit of gutter, but this is too too gutter. Um, And James says, cussing isn't always funny. Emily, Arida thought that thought that this is just try too hard to be funny, but didn't hit the mark. Felt uh, a bit familiar, also. I wonder what that means, familiar. Some nice human touches, says Martin. Telling, 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 says James. And yeah, Pamela. For a happy man, the writer paints a bilious picture of life. And I think, says Johnny. I think, uh, I think some seem to think one joke per page is what's required. It's not. Um and Johnny says it needs to be bang 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 or else don't label it comedy. And Pamela James, not since the seventies, uh back in the day a movie only had to have shit in it, times have changed. And uh Matt says exactly, Emily, tried really hard and missed in humour well, that can't work. This didn't. Fairly no fairly damning reaction from the genius room. What did we think? Uh Andy.
1: Um, I mean, just, I, I guess I should proceed by saying I think for all of our writers today, humour is probably the hardest thing to write, yeah. or certainly one of the hardest. And you are a brave man or woman to try. And also it often involves you kind of burying your soul a little bit, which I think mm. is probably why I like the one about the old man mm. the most. Here, what's quite interesting to me is like, your blog showed that you had a really good line in heart the way you describe your wife the way you describe yes. your child it was yes really charming and touching and sadly that was not coming across in in your submission very um, well put you know, yeah you, yeah you had you had me at skewered testicle and i think and as maybe it's a british thing but you know, toilet humour, as Dean alluded to earlier, is something that is always a go-to. And, if, and actually, if you um, Ben Elton used to talk about how you know, being at Oxford and stuff and having really sophisticated humour is great, but at the end of the day, you're gonna do a knob joke and that's what's gonna make people yeah. laugh. Yeah. And, and, that, and I think that, that, that will probably always ring true. What you've managed to do there in the blurb was like, you had me and then you began to lose me by trying to do that over and over and over and over again with a list of you're gonna meet a gassed up lesbian and this and that and that and the other and i think that i, don't, I still don't mean. know what that
0: means i don't, i don't actually know what that means it just it just feels sort of trite to be you honest know, i don't actually even, know what
1: even it even pride weekend at brighton and i don't know what that means no um so <laughs> you know and, and yeah it has been alluded you're the pervy priest thing or well, a like the previous submission it's such a cliche and b it's actually something we find extremely difficult to laugh at and i'm not saying again that that humor does walk that tightrope between what is acceptable what isn't acceptable Mm. and even so what's funny and when i mentioned derek and clive earlier on you know that's what they do they are well, they they're both answer. dead. They don't.
0: I mean, they might answer. be doing it still. I don't know, but they are. I mean, they I, I famous. They are. I hope they yeah. are. Yeah. Because exactly. They did
1: it so successfully, but it is really, really difficult yeah. to pull off. And when you get it wrong, you are in danger in 2022 of someone just giving you a slap and exactly. saying you can't pull that. So yeah, that's absolutely complained. right. And, and you're that definitely that in
0: danger. In, definitely in danger of not getting published as well. I I yeah, just can't so, so can't so see I would the be
1: yeah alive to that. Um, I, I, the, your font I would change I think you had a good opening line he um, did and, and I think you're with, with something like this you are going to be living in the shadow of this is going to hurt if it's about hospitals and about yeah. horrible things in hospitals so yeah. I just crack on with that take it on but I wouldn't give us an opening chapter that's about how you weren't very good at cricket as a kid and how yeah. you didn't get on your your
0: fantastic anything to add Dan?
2: not really no i mean i'm 100 percent with andy on this one um i mean i too was the same with with the i actually really like the blur the blurb did make me laugh i mean it was it was outrageous but it did make me laugh and, and again with the bio the bio is that it, this guy can write because it it's the a good bio. bio. It it's
0: a good bio. yeah it's great. Andy yeah, that it was out. Actually funny yeah. the bio actually
2: made me yeah. laugh um yeah unfortunately the piece not so much you know um yeah. And there was the, there was the technical problems there again as, as we've kind of mentioned. Not really sure. Well, he started off with the wrong font anyway. I mean, you need to just stick to Times New, Roman, uh, yeah. Times New Roman or something that people will be able to read easily. Um, and we're inexplicably changed font when he, when he got to this. Was it the second chapter or did we have a? a um, I,
0: I think it was an infernal prologue yeah. again. I think. Yeah,
2: yeah we're a prologue. There a thing, prologue yeah, I mean, it, yeah. yeah. Just keep it simple. Don't try and do anything fancy. Keep it, you know. Keep it yeah. simple. Uh, Exhalation uh, points as well, I noticed there's quite a few of those in there, which I don't really think needs to be there as well. Um, so, yeah, yeah. I think it's, it's got a bit to learn when it comes to, to the craft, I think. Um, but, again, there's something there. This is, this, this is the mm. thing that um, is a shame about this, because you know, there, there was mm. something in, in the bio, there was something in in the blurb that showed me that he's got something and he he, mm. he he could make me laugh definitely unfortunately not in the piece
0: yeah yeah uh, perfect i think uh i, I can't add a, th- a thing to that actually and annie said uh it's been a good show it has been humor is really hard to write but also remember to format things correctly that's one thing you can control Absolutely. And, and it, to me, that's the core of humour, the things you can't control. Oh yes, that's true. That's right. That's very well. I'll put Zuku. Yeah, best watch it or you're gonna get slapped like dear old Giuliani. <laughs> I don't think he sent us a submission, did he? That'd <laughs> be cool if you did. And it will feel like you've been shot. Such a tragedy. I I sense the irony. I sense the irony from even from this distance. Uh, what does Matt say? I wrote this before the show as a general statement. It applies here. Right, so pay attention, guys. An editor once uh, once told me there were only four or five people in the US who could pull off the humour I was attempting. Then she added, "You're not one of them." <laughs> well, that's funny. That's quite funny. Let's look at the numbers. You got a forty-six there, and uh, read, study, and digest all the numbers. You can you can you can work that out for yourself, there, Matthew. But more than that, you've got fabulous advice from our two wonderful panelists today and of course from the juniors group have just been so i mean terrifyingly good today um let's look at the scorecard and um it is it's it's i think this is rather nice actually i mean it's not the highest scoring show by any means is it actually let's 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 face facts because it's incredibly hard john to to pull off and get right even if you're an experienced writer. And some of the submissions today have been from um, non-experienced writers, actually. And in fact, that's who's won today! Isn't <laughs> no, brilliant? I think that's rather sweet, actually. We've got a winner today it's his first novel i love that i love that it's first timer i know that's, that's rather sweet are you, are you pleased with the old guys
1: that was my favorite for sure yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah me too yeah
0: yeah i think it's a is a, a good showing all round today thank you very much you've been great panelists today we try you did and we did
1: too the genius
0: team doesn't have to try because they're just naturally geniuses actually, but even though they've been super good today um, let's hope that um, next week is as good, eh? do you think it will be? Join us and see
5: hit it!
1: Are you ready? ready.